This is the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Podcast, sponsored by Bemidji State University and Northwest Technical College. The Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Podcast is also sponsored by Visit Bemidji and Grant Haven Campground. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors covers the lakes, woods, trails, wildlife, and anything else going on outdoors in Paul Bunyan's Playground. Coming up on the podcast today, we continue to look at the gems of Paul Bunyan Country as we get ready for the opener. And a portion of the show goes to the birds. But first, if you love the outdoors and are looking for ways to align your education with future employment in the trades, Northwest Technical College in Bemidji is for you. Explore state-of-the-art technical education in six career paths, automotive, building trades, business, health, child care, and manufacturing technology. All in the heart of Minnesota's Northwoods, surrounded by more than 400 lakes and, of course, limitless forests. The shortest path to your dream job and a good bite is at NTC, Bemidji's Technical College. Learn more today. Visit ntcmn.edu. Shorty, I won't ever understand my shorties be mad when all I want to do is stick my toes in the sand. There's nothing wrong with champagne, dancing and such But the nightlife in the city don't impress me much F-I-S-H-I-I-N, fishing Fishing F-I-S-H-I-I-N, fishing Fishing I don't feel right in the club, I'd rather be out Sitting in my 14-footer, catching some trout The fishes all tremble at the thought of me I'm country. Every year we take a look at Lake Winnie as one of the gems of Paul Bunyan country. This year is no different, but this year millions will be joining us as we take a look at Lake Winnie. Well, maybe not joining us on the show, but they'll be taking a closer look at Lake Winnie than normal because it is the lake the governor will be fishing on at the governor's fishing opener. Dave Weitzel from the Grand Rapids Area Fisheries Office has the details next. Plus, the show goes to the birds for a while as well. It's all coming up. When planning your trip up north, plan to park your RV or camper at the spacious Grand Haven RV Campground in Bemidji. You'll be in the perfect area to ride ATV, fish, hunt, and hike. With free parking for your boats and trailers and located just off Highway 2 west of Bemidji, Grand Haven Campground is the center point for your next Northland adventure. Fish hundreds of surrounding lakes and cruising the miles and miles of the ATV trails northern Minnesota has to offer. Visit GrandHavenCampground.com and book your stay today. Well, as always, during the early part of Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, we'd like to take a look at the gems of Paul Bunyan Country, and certainly one of those gems is Lake Winnie. We have Dave Weitzel from the Grand Rapids Area Fisheries Office joining us once again. Uh, Thanks for joining us, Dave. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kev. Well, Winnie is one of the biggies, uh, literally and figuratively, you know, 56,000 acres and a a historically uh, well-known walleye factory, Uh, and it looks like it's a factory again. Uh, it is, yeah. In uh, recent years, we've seen a couple of really strong year classes that have been produced, um, and that's driving a very good bite and a very good fishery right now. I tell you what, um, you know, we we heard the last two three years anglers saying, "Yep, we, we're seeing them. We're seeing them pretty soon. Give me another, give them another year. They're going to be uh, they're going to be good eater size, and it's going to be awesome again." And this winter, anything I heard from anybody fishing Winnie was. When they got into the walleyes, they were at that, you know, that perfect size now. They, they are, yeah. And, and the good news is, um, you know, a lot of those fish are from the 2018-year class. Uh, the 2019-year class is also strong. 
Uh, and it looks like the next couple of year classes after that might be fairly good year classes too. So uh, we think we're going into a period where the walleye fishing on Winnie is going to be good for a while. We wish it could always be perfect, but it, it just can't. And it was never a situation where people weren't catching walleye. They were just in that uh, that slot area where they couldn't keep them. And now, now we got that, uh, as you noted, those year classes coming through where we're back at it. Yeah, and, you know, walleye management is typically kind of a long game where uh, just from a biological standpoint, we know that uh, walleye don't recruit well every year. Uh, in the case of Winnie, we went through a period between 2015 and 2017 where the stars simply didn't align. Um, you know, we were we were stocking the, the lake with fry. Uh, there's also good natural reproduction that occurs out there, but for whatever reason, the spring conditions were such that uh, those were weaker year classes. Um, but, uh, you know, we do protect uh, the lake with uh, a slot limit on 18 to 23-inch protected slot. Uh, and the idea is that you protect some of those adult fish so that when the conditions are good, you're really optimizing the opportunity for these uh, stronger year classes to be produced. So sometimes with the walleye fishery, we just have to accept that there's going to be periods uh, that are better than other periods. Um, but when we uh, look at the management from, from kind of a – uh, a longer-term strategy, it seems like it continues to do what we want it to do. And I think it might have been before your time, but uh, there was a you know there was a time things were struggling, and, and, and Winnie was one of the first lakes to implement a, uh, a fairly aggressive slot limit, and it really worked. Yeah, what we were seeing during that period was you, you, you'd get um, your year classes that were produced, but those fish just weren't surviving long enough to, to kind of reach that uh, 17 to 18 inch um, spawning size, uh, and that's usually a pretty clear indication that there might be a harvest issue. Uh, you know, ideally in a walleye population, the, the, the walleye can naturally live over 20 years uh, or longer, uh, so you kind of like to see a balance in that age distribution. Um, you know, at that time, we weren't seeing very many fish older than about seven years old. Well, now if you were to look at the age distribution, uh, you'd see a lot of these younger fish because of these strong ear classes. Uh, but you'll also see fish that are uh, 10 years old or older. And that's, yeah, that's so important that you can you can do that, and, uh, and we're doing that on Winnie now. And, again, uh, this winter was a great win. I mean, as good as it could have been considering the conditions for ice fishing were not that great this year. But if you got out there, it was a great year to, to catch walleyes on Winnie. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the other great thing about Winnie is it's it's got a diverse population. You, you've always historically had a, a good, solid northern population. And it wasn't hammer handle size. It was, it was good, solid, fun northerns to catch and really good eatable perch sizes in really good numbers a year in and year out on that lake. Yeah, and uh, those trends generally uh, continue to exist, um, you know, and for folks that uh, go in and, and read our lake survey reports, uh, you'll find that the northern pike numbers typically tend to be uh, kind of moderate numbers, and, and that's where you like a pike population to be. Uh, when pike become overly abundant, you end up getting these hammer handle factories, and it becomes rare to see fish uh, over about 20 to 24 inches. Uh, in the case of Winnie, it's got um, kind of the right number of pike uh, to have the opportunities to have some fast growth and to see some larger fish. Uh, just because of the way that we go about sampling the lake, I think oftentimes we underrepresent the large pike that are out there. Uh, but certainly when we talk to anglers or do our krill surveys, 
uh, folks are getting pike over 36 inches. Um, so definitely the opportunity for some large pike, even trophy class pike. Uh, as far, far as the perch go, um, uh, the perch fishery is still very good. Uh, in fact, when we look at kind of our shoulder seasons, kind of that early ice period and now late ice after the walleye population is uh, uh, closed for the season, uh, we see a lot of people targeting perch on Winnie, uh, and they have really good success. Um, like most perch fisheries, uh, you're going to find a mix of sizes. And, and on any given day, uh, you might have to sort through a bunch of those 7- to 9-inch to fish. Uh, but if you're patient, you're probably going to find some fish that are between 10 and 12 inches as well. One of the uh, great things about Lake Winnie is, despite the fact that it is a, it's a walleye factory, it's one of the better-known lakes in Minnesota, it definitely gets a ton of pressure um, and, you know, there's plenty of development. It still has that woodsy feel. It sure does, yep. Uh, it's, it's in the Chippewa National Forest. A lot of the shoreline is uh, undeveloped. Um, so it's a, a real neat place to kind of have a wilderness experience, uh, you know, maybe without uh, needing to drive too far from home. <laughs> that's, that's a fact. Taking a deep dive into Lake Winnebagoshish today with Dave Weitzel, the Grand Rapids Area Fisheries Supervisor. It's the lake Governor Tim Walls will be fishing on and the Governor's Fishing Opener on the 14th, provided, of course, it's open. But it's starting to look like that might happen. We're going to talk a lot more with Dave about other aspects of Lake Winnie later on. But up next, we're getting out of fishing for a moment to talk about another outdoors topic, one that a lot of Minnesotans have questions about. Is it true because of bird flu we can't feed the birds in our yard? Lori Nauman, the spokesperson for the Minnesota DNR's non-game wildlife program, has an answer next on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. If you're fascinated by what you're hearing today, Bemidji State University might be the place for you when it comes to college. They're located amid the lakes and forests of the Northwoods, and it's the only place in Minnesota where you can earn a four-year degree in aquatic biology. It's a state-of-the-art program on the shores of Lake Bemidji, giving you high-tech lakeside facilities and ample opportunity for research and a hands-on education. You can choose fisheries biology, aquatic systems, or wetlands ecology. An aquatic biology education at Minnesota's premier Northwoods University. It's the right fit for you. Visit BemidjiState.edu. Well, on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors this week, we are checking in with Lori Nauman. She is the non-game wildlife program public information officer with the Minnesota DNR. Lori, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, we want to talk about a number of the things, and, I, and, and I'm going to start with the, the thing that seems to be on the top of a lot of people's mind, and that's whether we should or should not be feeding birds right now. Bird flu is a word we've heard, or a phrase we've heard a lot lately, and we've heard reports that we're not supposed to be feeding the birds, which is a very popular thing to do in Minnesota. So, Lori, uh, let's start there. What is the status with bird flu, and what should or should we not be doing? Well, I can't give you, you know, an overall what's what people should or should not be doing, but as far as feeding bird, backyard birds, our direction from the Department of Natural Resources is still that it's not necessary to take your bird feeders down completely. You should take them down at least once a year to clean them very well with a 10% bleach solution. So that gets rid of any sort of salmonella or other diseases that um, songbirds can carry to each other. However, the avian influenza has not been um, found in songbirds, at least not 
in huge numbers. There may have been one or two positives. There was a crow, and I think there may have been a couple of um, blue jays. But it, it is not affecting the songbird population. So therefore, feeding the birds in your backyard, as long as your feeders are clean, and as long as you don't have a lot of raptors collecting at your, you know, eating the birds at your bird feeder, which in that case, you'd want to pull your feeders in anyway. That's always my advice is if you've got raptors that are, you know, just really hanging around your bird feeders and they know that that's where the smorgasbord is, that you should just pull your feeders in for a few days to make the raptors go away. And that's kind of always been our direction. So um, it's something that is the avian influenza is certainly affecting raptors. And so raptors that are eating sick or dying uh, ducks or other species, but not necessarily songbirds because they're not getting it from songbirds. Okay. So what what is a raptor? What are the Minnesota raptors, just so we're clear? Well, raptors are are birds that eat other birds, essentially. Ah. Um, so they're, they're, you know, they're meat eaters, and so they eat... Um, they are the owls and the eagles and um, all of the things, the Cooper's hawks, uh, hawks, owls, and eagles, essentially. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, if they're eating, if they're eating all my uh, songbirds, I probably don't want them around. Right. So, I mean, you can, you know, if I mean, they need to eat too. Sure. You know, they need to, they need to feed their, their chicks. And right now, you know, I, I operate the Eagle Cam for the DNR. And right now our eagles are bringing in all kinds of, stuff <laughs> you know they're 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 feeding their chicks they need to you know so they're they're bringing in squirrels and and um ducks and and all kinds of things into the nest and we're certainly concerned a, a little bit about about them as well but if you have hawks that are just you know destroying your songbird population in your backyard then we always say well if you pull your feeders in for a little while the hawks are going to have to move on they have to find food somewhere so okay um, I, worth noting, you, you talked about cleaning um, the bird feeders because of the other things that, that could happen, and that's something that's pretty standard. That's not anything new. But um, how often should people clean their bird feeders? Well, once a month. Um, okay. That's what, that's what I usually say. Some people, you know, clean them more often. But once a month with a with a like I said about a ten percent bleach solution or you know some people don't like to use bleach you can use vinegar um, is another is another good you know antiseptic and so you can um, just keeping them clean is the one thing and and especially in the spring if your bird seed has been sitting there for a long time and it's getting um, kind of old and and moldy at the bottom you know those, that you want to clean that out for sure. Anyway, and just, you know, do whatever you can to be as diligent as possible because there are a number of different things. There's salmonella and there's um, bird eye finch disease, um, finch disease in, in the eyes of um, of some birds. And so those kind of diseases are just, uh, they, they circulate in the population and they're there all the time and keeping your feeders clean is going to stop that from spreading. What is the best food we should be providing our uh our neighbor bird our neighborhood birds i always say black oil sunflower seeds just okay. about all birds love black oil sunflower seeds they're relatively inexpensive and um and they provide you know quite a bit of sustenance if you have things like woodpeckers you can put out suet although during the summer it's not quite as necessary they find they find their food you know, they find woodpeckers find all kinds of food in the in the summertime. But putting out um, 
suet in the wintertime is very helpful for a lot of different species of birds as well. Um, you know, if you don't want to feed your birds right now because of the disease, that's fine too because birds have plenty of sources of food, especially this time of the year. All Everything is melting and they're getting um, all of the seeds that are coming from all of the dead plants that are out there from the wintertime. And so it they're not going to starve to death. And that I think is another really important point is that if you don't put your feeders out there, if all of us are not putting our feeders out there, the birds are still going to find food. They're not going to starve to death. We don't, you know, it's something that we do to please us and to, to, so that we can see these beautiful birds. And they certainly do love it and they, they get sort of dependent on it, but they, they're not going to starve if you don't put food out there. Okay. Um, it, it's interesting, um, you know, what, when you say non-game wildlife, um, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a big, big, uh, group of animals, right? It is. It's huge. We, you know, that it's over 800 species, but that's just the vertebrates, right? So yeah. there's all kinds of things that are non-game wildlife, including fish. You know, there are all kinds of different, um, projects that we do, that we work on that are, it's a wide variety of animals. One of the um, you, you mentioned eagles, uh, obviously a non-game species, and uh, and what an incredible uh, uh, success story that is in Minnesota and, and really in in a lot of parts of the nation. It is. I mean, we have a number of success stories with the non-game wildlife program. Of course, we are the tax che- the checkoff on your tax forms, the mm-hmm. non-game wildlife checkoff, and with that money, we have um, successfully restored populations of quite a number of different species, um, you know, ospreys, peregrine falcons, trumpeter swans, the bluebird, bald eagles, otters. Um, and the the bald eagle it, is an interesting story because we in Minnesota actually helped the entire country restore populations by providing chicks to other states. And so there were there's a number of um, states that we provided chicks to back in the 1980s and helped their populations uh, reestablish after DDT had just about destroyed all of our raptors in the country. Um, and so once DDT was pulled off the shelves and that wasn't used anymore, then, then the population started to rebound, but not without some help from humans. And so it, it's really a, a great story. We have, you know, we have more bald eagles in Minnesota than any of the other lower 48 states. So our population is the highest. Um, other than Alaska, mm-hmm. you go to Alaska, and they have much higher population. But mm-hmm. the the eagle is is such a fascinating bird for so many people still. But at the same time, I remember when they first were coming back strong, and you know you'd see them on the side of the road, and you would just stop your car to watch them because we're seeing eagles, we're seeing eagles close up. And now right. I pretty much see them every day now. I mean, it's uh, it's an incredible turnaround. They still will stop you in your tracks. Though, they right? do. I mean, no, absolutely. You know, they're they're just they're so majestic and they're so huge and they just have such a regal look to them and people just absolutely love their eagles and people love to watch the eagle cam and I'm, you know, operating it and they're just you know so interested in every everything that they're doing and the chicks are getting huge now um, and they're even fascinating to watch and some people just watch the eagle cam all day long all the time because it's they're still so interesting to people and I think that there are a lot of people that don't necessarily get out in nature very often who are still really surprised to see bald eagles. 
Yeah, and I, I think the other thing that's just uh, fascinating, I, I, you know, I still stop and look every time I see an Aerie, you know, uh, their, their homes. Those are, those are pretty incredible things in their own right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, it's, it's really fun when you, when you start to see something that hasn't been on the landscape for a long time. And that's why it's so uh, rewarding for me. To work for the non-game program and have you know trumpeter swans all over yes all over the place too i mean they were almost completely gone in the 1980s and our program helped to reestablish that population as well um they back in the 80s our goal for trumpeter swans was to have 300 about 300 birds back in the state and today we have a population of over 20,000 wow yeah so that's that's really fun too. Is and they're even bigger and more more majestic than than well I don't know about majestic, but they're huge. They're huge birds. Well, you mentioned non-game wildlife and so many species and invertebrates, for example. And obviously, you know the mammals pretty much stick around here. But a lot of your bird species are not birds that are here all year long. Do you have to work with other states on programs to keep uh, these? Uh, migratory birds healthy we do yes um in fact you know there are particularly with our common wounds um we work with um the usgs who does work in uh michigan and wisconsin and when the gulf oil spill happened in 2011 we started a research project to determine where it was that common loons migrate to and whether or not they might have been in the Gulf when the spill happened. And because of the research that we did with the USGS, um, that research was actually established because the state of Wisconsin was already doing research on botulism poisoning in loons, and they were trying to figure out where they were getting it from. And because they already had this study going, they were putting telemetry devices and radio and radio transmitters on loons in Wisconsin. You know, we are our program called up Wisconsin and said, hey, you know, could we get in on this? You know, can we have researchers come over to Minnesota and start researching um, Minnesota loons? And and sure enough, so that that happened, and we did research on common loons for a number of years, and we found out that our loons um, migrate. They leave Minnesota in the fall, and they fly to Lake Michigan, and all of the birds, all of the loons in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan pretty much gather on Lake Michigan and feed on brown gobies, which is an invasive species, interestingly, and they fatten themselves up before they migrate down south. And we found that out because of this research. And so that's part, you know, that's just one one project that is um, in collaboration with other states. We have, you know, there are a number of other um, num- number of other projects that, that we work on from time to time. A lot of those are through grants. Um, and it, you know, kind of all depends on where the money's coming from, right? So, um, we work with, uh, the Wildlife Action Plan is, um, is, it focuses on high diversity native, native habitats. Um, and we also focus on species that are in greatest conservation need. So therefore, species that have recovered, their population has recovered, then we no longer need to focus intensely on those species any longer right so 
Now we're focusing on things that like the kestrel population. We have several partners um, that are working with kestrel fledglings to monitor their movements and get more information about the annual life cycle of kestrels in the state. And kestrels are a fascinating little falcon. They're just a tiny little bird. And, um, but they're, they're one of two falcons that we have in Minnesota, which is, you know, the peregrine and the, and the kestrel. Um, oh, and merlins, sorry. And so it depends on where the species are in greatest conservation need, and that's where we focus our efforts. Okay. Um, you know, I often talk about the fact that even if you don't deer hunt or bear hunt or fish, um, just having fish, just having the deer to walk through your yards, just seeing those animals here, that's part of the Minnesota experience. It's part of why we live here. And certainly non-game wildlife species are very much that vibe, that uh, those birds just hearing them when you step out on your porch. Um, it's, just, uh, it's just part of living in Minnesota. It is, and I, I think you and I have talked before about how hunters in Minnesota are not necessarily out there on the landscape just to kill things. Right. You know, they go out, they go out in nature because they love nature and because they hear all of the other birds that are out there and they enjoy all of the other species and the habitat that's out there. And that's, that is what's great about living in Minnesota. I've so, I've heard so many hunters, you know, they come back because I work for the program that I do and the hunters come back including, you know, my own colleagues and say, hey, I was out hunting and I saw this or I saw that or I had a chickadee land on the end of my gun rifle, you know, <laughs> my, my rifle, you know, those kinds of things. And it's just, they really do appreciate and, and hunters do contribute to, quite a bit um, through through conservation efforts and efforts and through, you know, hunt, purchasing hunting and fishing licenses. However, those license that those dollars don't come to the non-gain program. And that's why we have the checkoff and that money helps fund our program, but there's no permanent funding for non-game wildlife. You know, we, we don't get that money from from the Pittman Robin, Robinson Fund that funds the hunting and fishing activities. And so it's important for people to understand that that's you know, non-game really needs help, and there's a huge number of species, certainly far more non-game species in the state than there are game species, right? So, Well, and, and when we've talked in the past, I think it has been prior to the tax date, so, you know, to remind people to do that, and obviously we're, we're past that now, uh, but something to remember going forward on your Minnesota tax form uh, to use that non-game wildlife checkoff to, to help the cause. And you can donate any time online okay. at MN, mndnr.gov forward slash non-game forward slash donate. And what's really important for people to understand is every donation, including the tax donations and any donation that you make online, is triple matched. So we get match, we get triple match, and we get two, two additional, so every $10 is actually $30 to the non-game program, and then it also funds um, some other um, pollinator work that we do within the state, but that money comes from the Critical Habitat License Plate Fund. So the license plate dollars that come in through the sale of those license plates is matched. It matches the non-game checkoff dollars. And so without that, you know, we, we really wouldn't have, we, without the non-game checkoff dollars and without the donations to the fund, we wouldn't get that match money and we couldn't do all of the work that we do. I was just about to ask you about pollinators and wondering if that was under your purview, and obviously it is. Mm-hmm. It is. 
It is because it is part of the wildlife action plan that we focus on, you know, the native wildflower habitats for prairie pollinators and we are doing pollinator research and have um, surveys going on. Um, in fact, I think they've started already this year and we should, in, you know, because of the abundance of prairie wildflowers, if we can increase it, um, increase the distribution and the abundance of wildflowers, we should see an increase in pollinators like regal fritillaries and other things that are species in it also in greatest conservation need. And so we monitor some of these sites that we've restored for butterflies and bumblebees to see how the pollinators are responding to our efforts. And tall grass prairies um, are also um, you know, number of species that are in greatest conservation need use tall grass prairies, and we've been monitoring those sites. Um, and, you know, a, a, a lot, all of our projects are listed on, on our non-game website, on the DNR website, mndnr.gov, non-game. And you can see all of the different um, projects and how, where that funding goes to, you know, what the projects are. Um, okay. Have you seen, I mean, I know it's been a great, pollinators, there's been a great concern throughout the nation. Have we seen any rebound? I know there's a lot of pro, pro projects in process now. Well, you know, it, that's not my specialty. I can't answer that okay. um, specifically, but I do know that there have been, because of some of the restoration work that we're doing and the surveys that we're doing, and we have some citizen science projects going on as well, so we've got citizens out there looking, and we are they are recording species that we hadn't seen before and some rebound and i know that it's been sort of you know back and forth with with monarch butterflies that you know it seems like those species are rebounding a bit i don't know if that's just um i, I don't know if that's something that is necessarily a permanent rebound or if that's sort of a fluctuation in the population but we do have a pollinator expert that would that could really talk to you know talk to that subject a lot more than a lot more than I could so I think it would be interesting that would be another interesting interview for you to do absolutely I'm all I'm I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Hey, awesome. Before we wrap up, another question that comes to mind is, you know, I'm hearing reports, uh, the, the most common report I hear, you know, that there's cardinals this far north now, which there didn't used to be. I haven't seen any yet, unfortunately. If they're here, I definitely want to see them. Um, but are you hearing that about other, other species that typically haven't been this far north, moving north due to climate change or whatever reason? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I've, I've worked for the DNR now for 30 years, and um, when I first started, I recall that seeing possums in Minnesota was uh, nearly unheard of. Yeah. And now I think possums are just about everywhere in this state, and, include, and wild turkeys, too. Of course, yep. that was partly because of our restoration efforts, but wild turkeys have been expanding. Um, but yes, very definitely. I mean cardinals and um, uh, all kinds of other bird species that are certainly moving a, a lot more, a lot further north. Pelicans um, are another species that interestingly have sort of shifted their population. They were found a lot more in North Dakota than they were in Minnesota several years back, and now they're just, they're all over the state and they nest here um, where they didn't used to. And so, you know, I, I certainly believe that that climate change has a lot to do with that. That they, it's it's just getting warmer. And and in addition to that, species are nesting earlier. Um, you know, we've seen with our bald eagles 
they are they nest earlier and earlier um, every year, and it's not you know it's not a huge increment, but but it's certainly of note. Okay, and then the other key question is: Are we seeing now some species that were typical Minnesota species moving completely out of the area because it's you know having to go even further north? Mm-hmm. And that's interesting because we have one of our non-game species, um, which is one of the few non-game mammals in this state, is um, the lynx, and that is a species that we used to see a lot more in Minnesota. Um, but their population, they've been moving further and further more north into Canada, and so we don't see them as much. And there are game species as well. You know, the moose used to be a lot more, yep. uh, their population was a lot higher throughout Minnesota several years ago as well. And whether or not that's because of climate change um, or because of the tick diseases or brain diseases that, that they're picking up, but is that because of climate change? So we've got a number of scientists within um, DNR that are working on those kinds of questions, and it's um, it's pretty fascinating work. But hopefully, we can, you know, alleviate some of the diseases and some of the, um, you know, tick-borne diseases and the influenzas that pop up each and every year to try and alleviate this. But that's what keeps us busy. <laughs> Well, great, great conversation, and uh, we're going to have to do this more frequently because I, you know, there's a million other topics I definitely want to want to bring up at some point. But Lori, awesome. let's circle back though to what we we started with uh, a reminder to um, you know uh, those who like to feed birds. Uh, if we're not seeing raptors, we we certainly can feed the songbirds. But uh, a good point that you brought up: make sure you're cleaning your feeders. Absolutely. Just keep your feeders clean and um, keep an eye on what's going on out in your backyard. And certainly call us if you do find dead animals, um, dead, particularly dead birds, um, because we are reporting and recording all of those. We're not necessarily testing all of them any longer, um, unless it's a county that has not been identified as a positive even influenza county already. So we are recording those things. And so it's important to just keep an eye on what's going on in your yard and and give the DNR a call. All right. Lori Nauman is the Non-Game Wildlife Program Public Information Officer. Great conversation today, Lori. Thank you for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Kevin. All right. Put the fishing hat back on because we're going to get back into Lake Winnie Talk next with Dave Weitzel of the Grand Rapids Area Fisheries Office on Fishing Paul Bunyan Country. Hi, this is Dick Beardsley, Bemidji Area Fishing Guide. I'd like to invite you to come to our beautiful town of Bemidji. We've got over 400 lakes in our area teeming with walleye, pike, muskie, bass, and panfish. We're the gateway to the Chippewa National Forest. We've got miles upon miles of biking and hiking trails. Paul Bunyan and Bathe the Blue Ox. Find shops and eateries in downtown Bemidji. Headwaters of the mighty Mississippi at Itasca State Park. Beautiful resorts, hotels, and bed and breakfasts. Visit Bemidji one step further. Dave Weitzel is the area fisheries supervisor out of the Grand Rapids office. He oversees Lake Winnie, one of the big walleye factories in the state of Minnesota. It's also a lake full of really nice-sized perch, good, solid northerns, and until last fall, the state record muskie. But the muskie situation has kind of been a question mark. Uh, the state record muskie came off that lake in the 1950s. 
you still see, you know, I always like to check the leaderboard on the on the big uh, Muskies Inc. tournament every fall. You still see some decent-sized Muskies coming off that lake, but uh, it's it's just definitely not a lake you hear a lot of musky talk about. No, it's one where uh, the density has been on the lower end, um, but that's probably healthy for, for that population. Uh, again, it's a completely natural population. Um, it's not a lake that's been stocked with muskie. Uh, it's part of this upper Mississippi River population. So it's kind of doing what nature allows it to do. Uh, but with those lower numbers and, and again, that, uh, you know, kind of leech lake strain of fish that's native to the upper Mississippi, uh, there's really big muskies out there. And, um, you know, we were happy to see that uh, that record did indeed get broken, but uh, we'll see if Malax can hold on to that. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> to have the next record come out of Winnie. Much pressure for muskies are there? Is there a lot of guys fishing muskies on the lake? No, not a lot. I think it's just because, uh, you know, it's the, the, the lake's quite large, um, so it's, it's a lot of area to try to cover. Uh, so I think, um, you know, there's, there's some guys that are more familiar with the lake that have that confidence uh, to go out there and fish for muskie and, and can be successful. Um, but uh, given the size of the lake, kind of a, a, a tough thing to learn compared to maybe uh, hitting some of the smaller lakes. Yeah, and, and of course, there's so many good muskie lakes here that, that it's probably not anything you need to talk about. But I'm, I'm just curious, as, as anybody in the past said, hey, we should really try to develop muskies more on this lake. It, it does come up from time to time, um, but I think, uh, you know, the, the question becomes, given the fact that they're native to the lake, uh, you know, it, it's probably producing about as many of those fish as the environment can support. Um, you know, how much active management do you really want to do, and would that active management actually improve upon what's already there? Right, right. Um, of course, this lake has uh, been infested with zebra mussels. We do know there's been some clearing, uh, but it doesn't seem to have affected the populations. It's kind of affected where they're at. It, yeah, and that's starting to be uh, kind of a pattern that we're seeing on some of our lakes when zebra mussels show up. Uh, there's kind of an initial five-year period where the lake seems to undergo quite a bit of change. Uh, but after that, it, it seems like these lakes uh, are, are kind of stabilizing. Um, you know, in the case of Winnie, we, we went through a period with some uh, really exceptional water clarities. Well, now the last couple of years, we've seen some algae blooms again. Um, you know, we went through that period uh, with really low recruitment. We don't know what role, if any, that the zebra mussels played in that. Um, but, you know, after a certain amount of time, now we're seeing good recruitment again. Um, definitely changes in the fish's behavior and the way that people have to approach angling. Uh, unfortunately, um, these zebra mussels are showing up in a lot of our lakes that were uh, traditionally stained water bodies that had good day bites for walleye. Uh, as those lakes become clear, those day bites become much more difficult. Uh, so kind of that day bite aspect of the fishery is slowly disappearing in a lot of our lakes. Uh, but the opportunities to catch walleyes and real high-quality walleyes still exist in many of these places. Yeah, we know they're there. Again, it's, it, it is that adjustment. Even Cass Lake, as clear as that is, there's tons of walleyes in there. You, it's just it's just learning where they're going to be, when they're going to be. Exactly, yep. Uh, any Besides zebra mussels, anything you have to pay any close attention to, anything you're worried about on the lake? Yeah, the biggest thing that we're keeping an eye on is our tulabee numbers. Um, they've been at a record low level for several years now. 
Uh, and, um, you know, they, they really require a, a couple of things. They're a cold water fish. Uh, so they don't do well when we get some of these really hot summers and, and long extended warm falls. So there's probably a, a temperature side of uh, the equation. But then they also feed on these offshore energy sources, um, which start with algae. And the zebra mussels are very effective at filtering that algae out of the water column. So I think with some of the uh, some of the temperature things that we've seen over the past few years, coupled with the zebra mussels, uh, it's probably uh, a little bit tougher to be a Cisco out on Winnie than it was once upon a time. Um, now, those Cisco's are important because they provide a, kind of this offshore fatty food source for both our walleye and our northern pike. The good news with Winnie is um, it's uh, it's a fairly productive lake and there's a lot of other food sources out there. So we haven't seen any kind of a direct uh, effect of reduced tulipy on, on our game fish species. Uh, but it is something that we want to keep an eye on and, and do have some concerns about. It's not really our topic today, but the tulipy issue is not, uh, it's not unique to Winnie, is it? No, we're seeing these trends statewide. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and I know uh, I just talked to a couple of biologists uh, a few weeks ago. You know, doing a perch study for the same kinds of concerns. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So it seems like uh, statewide we've seen reductions in in perch, um, or at least in perch that are large enough to be caught in our gill nets. Uh, in fact, uh, even on Winnie, um, you know, overall uh, since we started doing fall surveys, uh, it seems like the perch numbers have declined to a bit. Uh, still definitely healthy enough numbers to support the game fish fisheries and, and healthy enough numbers to support a good uh, perch fishery, uh, but definitely something we want to keep an eye on as time goes on. All right. So uh, advice for the anglers on Winnie this year? Um, you know, certainly you're going to have a great time with the walleye fishery. Uh, again, there, there, there may be periods where the water's uh, on the clear side. You might want to focus on those low light conditions. Um, but, uh, you know, to, to really maximize your enjoyment of the lake, don't be afraid to try some of these other species as well. Uh, the pike fishery is very good. Um, last winter, a lot of people really enjoyed targeting burbot on Winnie, uh, and that's kind of the first time that we've documented that in our creel surveys, um, that the popularity has really increased. Uh, we're also hearing of folks that have uh, kind of been uh, turned on to some little pockets where they're finding real high-quality panfish on the lake. Oh, really? Um, so, uh, yeah, some opportunities that are maybe, uh, you know, probably some of them have always been there, and people maybe never thought beyond the perch walleye aspect of the lake. Um, but uh, there's definitely tremendous opportunities for more than just the walleye out there. All right. It's a great, it's certainly, uh, Dave, a wonderful, wonderful lake and certainly one of the more popular ones in Minnesota, uh, Winnebagashish. Um, I'm sure uh, from a fishery standpoint, it's kind of a fun, fun one to be in charge of. It, it is, yeah. And we have the benefit of having that lake as part of our large lake program. So we're able to get out there every year and collect some high quality data on it. Um, and, uh, you know, the other thing I like about all of the lakes in the Grand Rapids area, uh, our stakeholders are, are really awesome to work with, um, you know, so whether it be the resort association up there or uh, just everyday anglers, um, you know, it's really a pleasure to manage these lakes. I have said this over and over again, and I'm not just trying to suck up to listeners. Uh, I really do think Minnesota anglers, by and large, understand what's going on. Uh, they all seem... Not everybody, but the vast majority seem to be on the same page, want the same things, and do a really good job. Yeah, absolutely. 
He's Dave Weitzel. He's the Grand Rapids Area Fishery Supervisor talking about one of the biggies in the state of Minnesota, Lake Winnebagashish. Dave, thanks for taking the time today. Yep, my pleasure. We may run into Dave Weitzel again in a couple of weeks at the Governor's Fishing Opener, as it will be in the heart of the Chippewa National Forest. The governor himself will be fishing on Lake Winnie with Tom Newstrom as the guide, which means he's going to catch fish. I don't think there's any doubt about that. That's going to do it for today. I'm Kev Jackson. Thanks for being here. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast at Podcast One on the Pod MN app or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to it at your leisure and oftentimes get some bonus content as well. Fish Popcorn, yeah. Country. Country. I would say that the listeners of Fish and Paul Bunyan Country are the smartest people on earth. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today.